So if you have your Bible, we're going to Joshua. We're going to be in chapter 3. Chapter 3. How many of y'all like going to new places? Okay, several of you. How many of y'all are homebodies? Don't like to do anything? You're like, ah, just show me my recliner. I'm happy there. Man, I was, uh, when, when we first got married, Nikki loved to travel. She wanted to, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? No. But uh, I just want to tell you a story about the young newlyweds that were, and, and she wanted to go all over the world, I thought. And uh, she said, I want to take you to places that you've never been before. So she grabbed me by the hand, and she led me to the door of the house, and we went outside under the carport, and she showed me the laundry room out there. It's terrible. No, she really didn't do that. But, uh, but today we're going to be talking about going places. Because in the story of the Exodus, y'all remember the Exodus, right? Moses comes out, staff, hits the Red Sea. What's it do? Parts, right? Parts like a hairdo, right? Part, that, that Red Sea separates and the Israelites cross it with the Egyptians hot on their tail. And they crossed over on what? Well, I was going to say on their feet, they were walking, but dry ground is correct as well. So they walked over on dry ground. It wasn't muddy. It was dry ground. They get to the other side. They're out in the wilderness. Moses, their leader, gets the Ten Commandments and all that kind of stuff. And then they send out how many spies into the promised land? You remember? Twelve. Very good. So they take 12 spies, one from each tribe. They send them out into the promised land. The spies come back and they tell Moses, hey, look, we, this is 10 out of 12, we can't make it over there. The people are too big. We go over there. The cities are heavily fortified. It's going to be hard to do anything there other than get destroyed. Joshua and Caleb, though, they were the two faithful spies. They came back and the report they gave to Moses is, man... The people are giants, but so are the grapes. I mean, there are grapes that are this big. There is produce in that land. There is milk. There's cattle. There's honey. This is phenomenal. The land is great. It's wonderful. It's fertile. Let's go. But the people didn't want to hear Joshua and Caleb. They wanted to listen to the majority, right? Because isn't that how Christianity is supposed to work? The majority rules. It doesn't matter who they are, how drifted they are, how backslidden they are. It's what the people want. So let's do what those who have zero faith want to do, right? Isn't that how we should operate in our faith life? Absolutely not. We listen to the ones that are inspired by God, that move by God, that speak on behalf of what God has promised. Those are the ones we want to listen to. Because the people didn't want to go, they end up wandering around in the wilderness for how many years? Forty. And that's always the number of testing and trial in the Bible. Forty. Not always, but most of the time. And then Moses, out of anger, when the people wanted water, later on in, in the story, the people want water, and Moses Instead of speaking to the rock like God commands, Moses takes the rod of God and does what? He smacks it. What? What? Hits it. And because of that, God said to Moses, 
you should have had faith in what I said. It's not, I'm not doing something like we've done it before because earlier in the story, Moses was supposed to hit the rock and water would come out. But Moses, out of his anger, was only supposed to speak to it this time and instead he hit it. Why? Because he wanted to do things like he always used to do them. Like it's been done before. So he hits the rock. God in his anger says you were supposed to speak to it. And now you're never going to see the promised land. Moses ends up dying in the wilderness where the people wandered for 40 years. And God made the promise to those people and to Moses. He said, you're not ever going to make it, but your children will. You want to know why God said your children will? Because when they got that bad report from the spies, and when Moses said, or, or when they said to Moses, there's no water out here. Do you want us and our children to die? God looked at those children that the people were striving for, and he said, I'm going to take them, and I'm going to plant them in the promised land, but you of little faith, you're going to die in the wilderness. And they all did. And they eventually get to what river that they have to cross to get into the promised land? The Jordan River, right? So they get to the Jordan River. They have to cross that river to go into the promised land. And now Joshua is leading the people. He was one of the faithful spies. Only he and Caleb, the other spy from that generation, got to go into the promised land. And now the people are at the Jordan River about to go into the promised land. And that's where we're picking up here in chapter 3. Verse 4. God is telling them, he's telling Joshua, how to go over that river and how the, the plan of action, I guess you could say. So verse 4. He's telling them, you're going to bring the ark of God forward. And he says, yet there shall be a space between you and the ark, about 2,000 cubits by measure. In our, in our measures, that's about 3,000 feet, half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So the first thing that I want us to really look at is, well, today's sermon is going to be brought to you by the letter S. So if you're following along on your Sesame Street app, that's what we're doing, the letter S today. So the first thing that I want us to look at is Joshua is instructed to stay back about a half a mile from the Ark of the Covenant and those carrying it so that they'll know where to go. And the first truth that I want us to look at this, this morning is we have got to give God space to work. If we give God the space to work in our life instead of trying to crowd up on what we think ought to be happening, instead of trying to insert ourselves into his will, then we can let God be God. And trust me, he does a whole lot better of a job of it than you would. Giving him space to move and operate rather than sitting there wanting to know every step of the way, how's it going to be, Lord? What's it going to be? In Psalms, the Bible says, 
Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know the coolest thing about that? They used to wear these little things called toe lamps. Now, some of y'all women in here wear toe rings, and probably a couple of you guys, Drew. I don't know. I'm, no. But they would wear these toe rings, and these little toe rings had what we, we call them a tea candle. A tea candle on a toe ring is basically what they had. And that was a lamp. That was called a foot lamp. And they would walk with these little foot lamps on their feet. How much light does that put out? Is it like this big strobe light? No, it's not like the one Caleb goes out and spotlights deer with in the backyard that's like 5,000 million candlestick power, right? Candlestick, candle power, that's what it is. No, there's no game wardens in here, so I can say that. We're just on the radio. So it's not this light that shines this beam a hundred yards away. What we're looking at is a little tiny candle sitting on the toe of your foot. And as you would be carrying, doing the work at night, every step you took, you'd see just far enough so that you wouldn't hit something and that you wouldn't stumble. Because why? God's word is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths. And if we give him room to work ahead of us, amazing things can happen. When's the last time God did amazing in your life? When's the last time you looked at something in your life and you were like, wow, that is the supernatural hand of God. And I can't do anything but fall on my face and just worship him now. Because isn't that the response when you have a right heart and you see what God is doing in your life and you just see the supernatural taking place? If you see what you think is supernatural taking place, God working in your life time and time again, and if you just look at that and go, eh, that's just the Lord, whatever. Can I have some more pancakes? then your heart has grown cold and calloused to him. That's something that should invoke worship from you. We've got to give God space to work so that he can prepare the amazing out in front of us. So often we want to be in control and we want to be right there to tell him how to do it when to do it, where to do it, and then tell them what color to do it in, right? I love, I love what it says in verse 4, though. He says, you're going to give him room. And then he says, he's going to take you places that you have never passed by before. You see, God is going to take you places where you've never been before. Just like the laundry room for some of you guys. Myself as well, I'll take it. So you're going to go places that you've never gone before. I want you to think of how amazing that is. And he's not talking about going to, you know, Vermont in the fall to look at the colors of the leaves. He's not talking that. 
We're talking spiritual places that you've never been before. He's talking the spiritual things in your, the victories that you never thought could have as you follow through the book of Joshua, because Joshua in the entirety of the book is all about winning. How many of y'all like being losers? Anybody? I love being a loser. No. There was actually a show called The Biggest Loser. Nobody wants to be on that show. You don't want, you don't want to be, yeah, I guess you would maybe, but nobody likes being a loser. We all want to be winners, right? What's funny is like way before I ever came to Oak Grove, guy says something about Oak Grove and he goes, oh yeah, Oak Grove, that's where they raise maters, taters, and state champs. And that was before like the last 17 championships, right? So everybody wants to be a winner. We all want to qualify as that winner. We want to go places that we've never been before. And spiritually, I don't know if we set ourselves up to be victorious like we do in the flesh, right? Parents, go out. Springtime, they're throwing a baseball with their kid. Dads, they're teaching their kids how to throw a two-seam fastball, right? In the, in the fall, you see dads out there with their with their kids, and they're tackling them in the yard. Don't drive by our house in the fall. I've tackled Sam 15, 20 times out there, taking out my anger and frustration, showing him how it's done. He just shrugs me off. If we would spend as much time on the spiritual training to have victory as we do the physical training to have victory, our generations to come would be like, where's the enemy at? Let me at him. Let me know what to pray for. So funny this morning. I didn't know all these kids were going to come up and take up the offering. But let me see that next generation come through and lead. And this is ultimately what we have here in Joshua because their parents all died in the wilderness because of a lack of faith. But that next generation, they came up and they said, you know what? We're all right. We're with you, Moses. We're going to follow you. We're of the generation that has the mindset of Caleb and that the, the mindset of Joshua. And we are right there with you. We don't care how big the giants are in that new land. We want the fruit that's there because we know that your fruit is better than the, the, the fruit that we've been eating, which was zero. They were sustained on manna, the bread of God. Nothing else. They were sustained on the water that God provided. Nothing else. And now they see something better. Something in a place that they'd never been before. And now they have to be ready to go over there and cross that river. But the river, oh, that was like in flood stage. Man, you ever try crossing a river in flood stage? It's not fun. You guys remember several years ago, 2016, we had floods all up and down this area. You drive down Highway 2, funny story. I'm at another church at that point. Me and my associate pastor, we're driving to a funeral in Oak Grove, Thomas Phillies. And we're driving, and the most amazing thing happened because only one, one lane of traffic was open. And we're out in Little Missouri, and we're driving, and... We see a car coming from Goodwill, coming from that direction. 
we see a, a truck. It was a little truck, and it stops in the road. And I'm looking, and I see something silver in the road, and it's moving. And this little woman gets out of that truck, and she goes over, and she picks up a fish that was in the middle of the road flopping, goes and throws it in the back end of the truck, and drives off. So y'all can imagine when I was called to Oak Grove, I'm like, I gotta meet that woman. I gotta meet that woman. She got, she got buffalo ribs. <laughs> when we're going to a place that we don't know about, we can see amazing things along the way. This generation that was under Joshua and Moses previously, we're ready to see that. Right now, I want you to think about though, what is that amazing place God wants to lead you? You may not know. Because if you get them space to move, you're not going to know until you walk in faith to that point. What's the Bible say about having faith? Faith without deeds is dead. Faith without walking in it is dead. You can say you have all the faith in the world, but if you're not doing it and walking in it, oh, then you a crusty old goat. No offense to my 4-H people. Sorry, Guthrie. He then says in verse 5, sanctify yourselves. Purify yourselves. Why you got to purify yourselves? Mm. Because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Tomorrow he is going to do wonders, miracles among you. So sanctify yourself when? Today. A lot of times we don't want to sanctify ourselves unless the promise is right there about to happen. Just think of 24 hours, how much doubt you can stir up in your own mind in 24 hours. He says, purify yourself today. Tomorrow, God's going to do the wonders and the miracles among you. Man, what's it mean to purify yourself? Sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself. When you are purifying yourself, you're looking at yourself in the mirror. And you're saying, hmm, that's not of God. That's not of God. You look in at the receipts on your debit card. And you're saying, hmm, I purchased that and that. And that's not of God. You're looking at and taking inventory on the conversations that you've had in the previous days, and you're like, mm, that joke was not of God. When I said that, that wasn't of God. Me being in the room and part of that conversation about whatever subject it was, that wasn't about God. And we take inventory on that, and we purify ourselves, and that means we say, Lord, here is this bucket, this barrel, this truckload of stuff and mess and filth that is not of you and I'm bringing it to you and I don't want it and you purify it through the fire, through the judgment. 
And you look at me, Lord, and if there's anything else left in me that is not of you, I pray that you will strip it off, that you will break it off, that you will chip it off, no matter what that feels like in my life. Because I don't want to have anything that stands between me and you. That's a pure heart. Joshua says, sanctify yourselves. Because God wants to do mighty wonders and will do the mighty wonders in your life tomorrow. Tony, that sounds like name it, claim it type of stuff. Let me tell you this. When you're building barriers and you're allowing barriers to stay between you and a loved one, your relationship's going to struggle. Just like it will with God. Consecrate yourself. Take out all the roadblocks. Take out all the things that are not of God. And let him deal with them as he deals with your heart. And when that happens, you're ready to get across that river to places that you have never dreamed about, that you've never seen before. He says... In verses uh, 9 through 13, he gives this supernatural prediction. That's the next S. Supernatural prediction. Verse 9, he says, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail, I love that part, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and then, of course, your termites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you in the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand up as a heap. The supernatural prediction was, even though the river's in flood stage, and you have these little women in their pickup trucks throwing catfish in the back end, right? Even though that's taking place, you're going to cross that river when it's at its highest. When it's at its messiest, nastiest, most uncontrolled flow, you're going to cross it then. Why? Because God wants to take you to the places that you've never been before. For some of you, that's still scary because you're not living in the fullness of the promises that God has put before you. Well, what promises has he put before me? Read this book. The abundant life, joy in the darkness, peace during times of struggle and war. Those are the promises that you can have, but you've never experienced them because you're still living on the other side of the Jordan, unconsecrated unsanctified, 
not worried about the other stuff in life that doesn't look like Christ, saying, well, whatever, he loves me anyway. He wants you to exist in the fullness of his promises, in the land of abundance. That supernatural prediction was that when the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, right? Because they'd, they'd be like pallbearers carrying a casket. It was about that big, a little bit smaller. When they get to the river and their feet touch, the water is going to go. Just like back when they were little babies or before they were even born at the Red Sea. That water is just going to get pulled back. And that's what's going to take place. God has a supernatural prediction in our lives. And that is going to be the thing that we don't often expect. The supernatural prediction that you have taken part in, I pray, if you are a believer that is in Christ, a born-again believer, bought by the blood of the sacrifice that he made on that cross, that supernatural prediction was that from him will come a fountain that will wash your sins away. From him in the sacrifice that he makes will come the satisfaction of God's wrath on all the sin in your life that you would ever commit. From him you will find the fullness of life, that abundance life in the spiritual promised land. So when you got to that river Jordan and you thought, do I want to live in the fullness of that life? And maybe some of you are here this morning. You've got to go back. And if the cross isn't there where you looked at Jesus as your representative to take God's wrath against your sin. Well, then you have no part in the promised land. You're stuck in the wilderness even. You're stuck even beyond the wilderness back in Egypt in slavery to this world. But that prediction, which was prophesied about over 300 times in the Old Testament about the Messiah and, and all the predictions that Jesus fulfilled in his lifetime, he became the fulfillment of prophecy, being the Messiah, being the one that takes away the sin of the world as the Lamb of God. And in him, we have the promise of life. These guys go, they get to the edge, their feet gets wet, they cross over on dry ground. They get to the other side, and what do they do? God, chapter 4 now, we see him instruct Joshua. Verse 2, he says, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. So while it's all dried up, in the midst of that Jordan River, these guys are going back grabbing up rocks that were once covered in water. And he said, Place them where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you 
and leave them in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. When God is going to send you to the place that you've never been before, he tells you, grab a stone, make a memorial. So these guys go back to the river where the priests were, this river that was in flood stage, and they go down and they go into the river and they grab up a stone so big they got to throw it up on their shoulder. That's probably a heavy stone right there. And they got to carry it and they're going to put it where they spend the night. Twelve stones because God's saying, when you come back in this area, you're going to say, look at what the Lord has done for me. And he brought me through the flood stage river on dry ground. He put me in the promised land so that whenever there's doubt in my life, a year later, 20 years later, two days later, I can go back and I can look right where I set up the stones. That was our last S, because some of y'all get nervous going, how are we going to do the Lord's Supper and time's almost out? Those last stones are the stones that I want you to be able to go back to in your life after God is going to do the miraculous in your life. And what am I talking about? Y'all, as a church, what have you done lately? I'm pointing fingers at myself if I'm going to say that. What have you done lately as a church? What are you doing? What are you planning to doing? Other than trying to come up with reasons why you can't do. Excuses are for a generation that dies in the wilderness. How many of you want to be dead Christians in the wilderness? Anybody? Hopefully not a hand goes up. But you get to get off your spiritual recliner and say, Lord, take me to the new places. I want to consecrate myself fully. I can only do that through your spirit. And I'm ready to go wherever you lead me. During this time of invitation, I want you to, uh, to pray. To seriously look at the sanctification of your soul. And it's not done by you and your flesh. Like I said, only the Holy Spirit, he's the one that does it. But you know where there's sin in your life. You know where there are things in your life that do not look like him. And I'm going to ask you to pray. You can do it where you're sitting. You come up to the altars. You come up to that first pew and kneel there. I don't care. But you better, before you even think about taking one of these little chips and these little thing of juice, you better think about that for real because the Bible is clear that you consecrate yourself before you partake of the Lord's Supper because that is a serious sin and you are drinking death unto yourself. Take it seriously. Take it as the Bible gives it to us and realize that what you will be partaking of is that body of Christ that has been given for you. And then Jesus, right after that, and I'll say it again in a few minutes, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember this as that little stone that you picked up out of the Jordan. And the next time you're struggling in life, you go back to today when you took the Lord's Supper and said, man, I 
fully consecrated myself that morning and Tony preached the sermon and man, I remember it and I took the Lord's Supper and I am a part of that family. And his word says he will never leave me or forsake me and I am loved, I am his son, I am his daughter, I am an ambassador of Christ and I am here to be sent into this world not to be a part of its decay. If you'll do that this morning, Guess what God's going to start doing tomorrow? Working those wonders. Taking you a few steps on that journey as you let him work out there in the space in front of you.